Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to another episode in season seven, seven million bikes, a Vietnam podcast. If you are listening to this or you're watching on YouTube, you will know by now we have passed 20,000 downloads, which uh, if you look at the YouTube numbers, especially of my guest today, 20,000 downloads seems minuscule, but it actually puts us in the top 10% of podcasts worldwide. So thank you so, so much to everyone who supported every guest, every listener, every every single person, Lewis Wright, my wife, Adrian Lopez, that's been involved, Leigh Wynn, we couldn't be here without you. So thank you so, so much. I'm excited for today's guest. He's been recommended by a previous guest, one of my favorite episodes with Nam Den. The guest today is a YouTube content creator, a TV personality. So he also worked for the previous guest, Mika Chu, and he's also an MC. Guys, today we have Holy Fook Matt. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. What if you get a pet chicken and put it on a leash and walk around with it? I said, dude, that's great. You act like I don't know that it's not a real pet. What if I accidentally buy women's pajamas thinking they're for men and just wear them to try to be part of the culture like traditional clothes? Ever since that video, there has not been one city that I visited in Vietnam where someone didn't come up and recognize me, my name, and ask me where my chicken was. So on my leg, I have a boy called Viet Thing Viet. I don't know Vietnamese tattooed on my leg. <laughs> so people are like, wow, what does it say? I say, Vietnamese. 
They go, well, why did you get it? They, I don't know what it means. And they just, they can't understand. Become a member of the 7 Million Bikes community and you'll get free tickets to our events, free 7 Million Bikes face masks, episodes a day early, behind-the-scenes content, and invites to special events for community members. The link is in the show description, so check it out and join today. Thank you so much to our existing community members. We look forward to seeing you again soon. This season, we've gifted sponsorship of a Vietnam podcast to two amazing charities close to our hearts, the Blue Dragon Children's Foundation in the North and Saigon Children's Charity in the South. Please check out the links in the description to learn more about these amazing organizations and donate if you can. Enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. So give me a bit of your background then. So your whereabouts in the States are you from? So I was born and raised in Florida. I studied at University of Central Florida in Orlando. And after I graduated with a criminal justice degree uh, in legal studies, I realized I didn't want to work in that field at all. Uh, I had an opportunity to go work in a bar in the other side, on the other side of Orlando. I went over there, worked in the bars for about five years. And then at that point, I had the opportunity to come out here to Vietnam. Realized it's much better than downtown Orlando. In fact, I had a friend that was stabbed and died working in the bar down there. And after I left, a few more people were stabbed or shot down there. And it was just a toxic environment that I was happy to get out of. I came over here just a year of teaching. I wanted to bounce around in different countries, live in Taiwan, live in Japan. That was the plan. And then I fell in love with Vietnam. And this month, this month is seven years in Vietnam. Wow. Awesome. Congratulations. No, but so you're, what impresses me is, and so our listeners might not know this, so you're almost, I guess, fluent in Vietnamese. You could. I feel like I'm decent. I feel like I can handle, I handle myself and the real test was getting on different TV shows where I don't have the script before. And they just ask me questions while I'm on TV and I have to converse and, you know, respond intelligently in front of the entire country on these shows. And I think it worked out pretty well. So I won't say fluent, but I know enough. We'll say that much. <laughs> yeah. Mika told us a quite a funny story about how she got a, she got a word wrong on a, on the TV show and then it completely changed the meaning and. It's so difficult, but I don't want to talk about it too much because I'm conscious that I talk about how difficult it is to speak Vietnamese on every episode because I can barely speak a word of it and that's all on me. So, and you've been here almost the same time as me. So are you good at languages? Because I'm terrible at languages and I'm lazy. So it's all my fault. I know Vietnamese is difficult and that's part of it, but how did you manage to become almost fluent or very, very good at Vietnamese in six years? Because there, there are people that have been here for 10, 20, 30, 40 years who still don't speak a word. When you ask it like that, I, I feel like I'm decent at languages. And I only know from my experience of studying Spanish. I was in the IB program in high school, the International Baccalaureate. And we were required to study a foreign language for four years. On the final test, I got a five out of six. It was like the AP test or you know, they send it off to get graded and my Spanish skills were okay at that time. And I, you know, I didn't really care because I wasn't going to Spanish countries. I wasn't using it. But when I came here, I thought the same thing. I said, wow, Vietnamese is very difficult. I don't know if I'm going to be able to learn this. I did my teacher training here and part of it included Vietnamese classes for two weeks. So oh, this is really hard. So I only learned 
funny lines, you know, like, oh, I'm Dep Chai, I'm handsome. I only learned funny comebacks. And after, I want to say, about a year and a half, I started dating my wife, who is Vietnamese, and that gave me the motivation to actually get a tutor and put the time in. And I feel like that's what it comes down to. It's having the motivation, having the reason. And it's not so much her. You know, my wife can converse in English. It's her family. You know, Vietnamese are generally close to their families. And we were just dating and I'd already met her family. I'd already sat down uh, for dinner a few times with them. And it's me and like 10 Vietnamese people. I'm like, well, this is going to be awkward if I don't learn more Vietnamese. And here we are in 2021. I've lived in her family's house for two years now. And she's the only one that speaks English. So I speak Vietnamese all day here at the house. That's awesome. It's, it's impressive as well, because I even, I do a joke on stage as well about how there's so many, obviously, Western guys with a, with a female, well, with a Vietnamese wife, sorry. And they basically could have a teacher and instead they use her as a translator. And I know some Western guys whose Vietnamese is, has gotten worse almost since they met their Vietnamese partner. Like that. So it's impressive that you then recognize that and then, then took the steps to actually learn it, you know? And the reason I asked, are you good at languages, was just to make myself feel better because I'm terrible at languages. I studied French in high school for about six years and I, I can barely say my name in French. I just, there's something in my brain, like it just, you tell me even a phrase in another language and I just cannot remember it. It just, it goes in and goes out. So I'm just making excuses why I can't speak Vietnamese. So I just want to make sure that you're generally good at languages. So that's why you learned Vietnamese. What of mine? You might've heard of him. His name's Chris Lewis. He's oh yeah. I used to watch Ginger YouTuber. Oh, you know. Oh no, sorry. I'm thinking of someone else. I'm thinking of another Chris. Sorry. So he's all living in Vietnamese. Yeah. This guy is insane. He's a, a ginger YouTuber up in Hanoi. And he learned Vietnamese and speaks it better than I do in just two years. But he also speaks fluent Chinese and he's taught himself Urdu from Pakistan. And yeah, he, he's a master of languages. So one thing I mentioned in my videos, uh, a couple of videos back, I talked about it, where it doesn't matter when it comes to, let's say, fame or language level or money. There's always levels to every uh every subject, I guess you could say, every topic. So you need to kind of stay humble. So people will say, wow, you know, your Vietnamese is great. Say, thank you. You know, it's okay. But for example, the show I was on with Mika, we have uh, people that have been there, been in Vietnam for 10 years and their Vietnamese was incredible. So I don't want to get too cocky, too arrogant, because I look at them, I go, have a ways to go. Yeah, there's always levels to it. There's always someone that's going to be better than you, whatever the, the topic is. And I, I know who you're talking about, Chris Lewis. I saw, I watched his video not that long ago. He's the one that he was uh, in a, an ice cream shop, right? And then the person said, oh, you have COVID, like in Vietnamese, like, oh, there's foreigners with COVID and he could understand them. And they was like, wait, what did you say? And then it was like super awkward, not for him, for the, the woman that said it. I've asked that question before as well of a Vietnamese guest way back in the first season was like, have you got any embarrassing stories of people not realizing that you speak English and then, you know, they say something. So exactly what happened to Chris, something it said in English, maybe offensive, maybe racist, maybe just horrible, not realizing that you could understand it. 
And the answer I will never forget was the best answer ever. He was like, no, that's never happened to me. But it happened the opposite where I said something in Vietnamese to my friend and the person in front of me could understand me because their mom was Vietnamese. So he was in America and he's gay and the guy in front of him was really cute. And he was saying to his friend in Vietnamese, oh, this guy's really cute. And like talking about how handsome this guy was, he would look Western. And then he turned around and spoke to them in Vietnamese, <laughs> saying like, yo, thank you very much. And Bob, I was like, oh, I was like that's pretty funny. I, I wasn't expecting that answer. Have you, so have you had anything similar to Chris like that, where someone said something, maybe not offensive, but just said something about you in Vietnamese, not realizing that you can actually understand what they say? A couple of times. Um, so part of my language learning when it comes to Vietnamese was in the markets. What do you mind? The Phuc Bao, the tall friend I told you about. Him and I, we used to go in the markets and use our bargaining to practice our quick-witted Vietnamese. And people would say something and not think I understood. And then I would come back with it because maybe it's just me, but one of the first things you learn in a language, it's the bad words. My wife, she owned a Wan which is like a beer club restaurant. And I would hear every bad word in Vietnamese from the customers every night. And one guy, he said something uh, similar to like a sexual reference to me at a restaurant. You know, while I was waiting on my food and I asked him, oh, who are we going to do that with? And he's like, you know, but nothing, nothing too crazy. Chris's story was good. I shared that on my stories. And it got onto Reddit and it's blown up quite a bit. But yeah, it's, it's definitely happened before. Yeah. And when, when you said Chris, I, I was thinking, so a guy I worked with who's also named Chris and I've forgotten his last name for the moment, but a similar thing, he can speak like five languages. That's why, that's kind of why I asked that question. Cause there are just some people who, and what I've heard from other people as well is once you've learned one language, it becomes easier to learn a second mm -hmm. and a third because your brain kind of. I guess the, the synapses start to snap in that direction. My son, I mean, I make the joke. I barely speak English. I'm Scottish. Come on. My wife, they'll <laughs> correct my grammar like every day. I don't use proper grammar. The way I speak right now, I've had to relearn how to speak the English language because I moved to America. So when I, I moved to America and when I was 20, I was working in this summer camp and I walked up to this girl. We're all hanging out, chatting. And I was like, oh, hey, how are you doing? My name is Neil. Nice to meet you. And she was like, what did you say? I was like, all right, nice to meet you. My name's Neil. How are you doing? You all right? Because I've just come from Glasgow. That's just, you know, how we speak. And she looked at me and she's like, what? I have no idea what you're saying. And just walked away from me. And I was like, oh my God, what is going on right now? I, like, I was so confused and like upset and art and like, I'm speaking English right now. And, they, and that, that wasn't the only example. There was plenty more examples, but that was the one I remembered the most. So for me, I don't, I didn't learn another language, but I learned how to speak English properly. So now I enunciate and pronounce all my words and I speak slowly and, and things like that. So that, that's my achievement when it comes to languages is speaking English. I feel like I didn't get enough interactions with foreigners and by foreigners, I mean, even people from England, Australia, Ireland, until downtown Orlando, I worked in two different Irish bars and we had some real Irish people and even to this day, when I went back to America almost two years ago now, I took a shift in one of the Irish bars and my friend, you know, she's talking to me and I'm just like, you know, after knowing you for years, I still don't understand everything you're saying. I have no idea. Yeah. And moving over here gave me the opportunity to meet people from 
the Netherlands and Italy and especially South Africa. Yeah, never met a South African before, and to hear all these different accents is just eye-opening. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, Scottish people, some of them, like I, I, when I was in New Zealand, I met a guy from Scotland and he'd been there for 20 years and he sounded like he'd left yesterday. And that's kind of like, you know, some Scottish people have left and they never make the effort to change their accent. And so well, I was similar to you. I was kind of like, he was talking and I was like, I honestly am having real trouble understanding what this guy is saying. And he's from the same place as me. So you do have to kind of, you do have to make that effort. And then I think this is the thing with Americans as well. When I lived there, Americans find it particularly difficult to hear accents because, because America is such a big country. Most people don't have a passport. Most people don't ever leave America. They haven't met Scottish, Irish, Dutch, South Africans. So when they hear a different accent, they find it really difficult to understand. So I found that time and time again in the States. But I think that once you start to travel and you get exposed to those different accents, you start to understand them better. But one of my uh, favorites, I worked in a bar in New York, actually, for a short time. And I would get it in New York all the time that, like, if someone would just, I'd talk to them and they'd be like, oh, my God, I love your accent. Where are you from in Ireland? And I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like I, I, at that point, I have been to Ireland now. But at that point, I would be like, I, I've honestly never been to Ireland in my life. And then, like, their head would explode. Like, what are you talking about? You're Irish. You're from Ireland. I love Ireland. My great-great-granddaddy's from Ireland. And I'd be like, me, no, I'm from Scotland. It's different. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, but it's like the same, right? Well, like you mentioned before, it's similar uh, to that with Asian countries. When I made the choice to move to Vietnam, I didn't even realize I was living in a little, little Saigon, a little Vietnam town in downtown Orlando. I just thought it was the Asian area and I didn't know the difference between Korean, Japanese, Chinese. Obviously I knew there were different countries, but back then I couldn't tell you the difference between them. After living here and visiting a lot of those countries, I can spot the differences. I can tell you different aspects of their culture, but actually I just filmed a video yesterday for my channel reviewing what I said on the TV show. And that was one of the things I mentioned for a developed country. America doesn't have a lot of people that have a passport. I want to say, I think 46% of people don't have a passport in America. So they don't get out. They don't see other cultures. They don't see other countries. And I I lived that firsthand. I came to Southeast Asia and my mind was blown. I had no idea. I only knew Thailand from Muay Thai. I didn't know anything about Cambodia. You know, I, I found out a lot about Vietnam when I moved here. So... I think that's a, an American problem, even as close as Ireland and Scotland are, like, they, they can't tell the difference. And I think that's in part to not getting out and exploring the world. Oh, absolutely. And what, what fascinates me, though, is the more you do explore the world, you know, we, we put these labels on things, so whether it's American or Asian or Vietnamese or even Glaswegian. But once you get there, once you live there, you realize that, you know, everyone's different. Like even in Glasgow, there's a slight difference between the accent between North and South Glasgow, like very slight. And even I lived in Australia, you know, you can start to tell the difference between a Melbourne and a Sydney accent. And I, I, you can't even put your finger on it. Then obviously in Vietnam, the North and the South is, some people would say almost a different language. I think the Central is even, even more different. 
So you, it's interesting that we have these labels that we place on things, but then as you, when you get there and you live there, it's actually like these little micro microcosms. I don't know what you call it, but. No, I completely agree. And especially with America, I always ask my students, I say, what, what version of English is the easiest for you to listen to? You know, is it from England or is it from America? And if it's from America, you know, is it the Southern really slow? Is it the New York accent? Is it the Midwest? You know, they're, they're in America being so big. I mean, there's a lot of different voices, but you are correct. Like even with Vietnam, we have Vietnamese, but Southern Vietnamese, Central Vietnamese and Northern Vietnamese, there's definite differences. So how was your, can you communicate in Central? I think Central is the most different, right? Like I talked about this before, my friend who's Saigonese, we went to Nang this year, earlier this year when travel was still available and she could not communicate with the server. It was so funny watching her get frustrated and trying to talk to another Vietnamese person and order some food. And she's like, I don't know what she's saying. And I think South is, is different again. So how are you in those dialects? I'm in a unique position. Uh, my wife's family, they're originally from the North. Her hometown is Haiphong, which is in the North. Uh, but she was born in Saigon. And I get to hear some Northern accents from her parents and you know the older people in her family and then she speaks with a southern accent but we live on Phan Van Hai street and Phan Van Hai is known for a lot of northerners and being in Saigon Saigon is similar to the New York City of Vietnam where you get so many different people coming here from all over the country so I've been blessed to take in all these different voices and personally I think my Northern understanding is okay. I've been to Hanoi like four times and I do okay. And I try to even switch my voice. Central, I've never had a huge problem until I did a listening test with the YouTube channel, Hang Song Bay and Nika and uh, Nam, they participated as well. And we listened to some Nguyen accents and it was like, nobody knew what they were saying. What is a Nguyen accent? Nguyen is a province in Vietnam, and they have a very particular way of speaking. Chris Lewis actually does a video on it where he went and tried to learn the dialect. He went and visited that area, but listening to it, it's, I can't make out any words. And it was a bunch of foreigners, and we were taking like a Vietnamese test in the Zoom call, and none of us could pick it up from <laughs> northern to southern. Nobody knew what I was saying, so it gets even more distinct after that. And how about the, whether Vietnamese people as well listening to? Uh, I showed my students. I, I played the YouTube video yeah. for my class and they said, teacher, we have no idea. Like, Didn't know either. It's horrible. So tell me then, how did you start getting into YouTube? So your YouTube channel, I think I checked it is nearly 400,000 subscribers, which is awesome. Congratulations. You're on TV with uh, Mika Chu and, and um, Ben and others on every Friday night, right, as well? And that's, that's just incredible. I, I think uh, the Vietnamese people, they are obviously so impressed when a foreigner can speak Vietnamese. And my other excuse I meant to say earlier for not speaking Vietnamese, my Vietnamese has gotten worse in the longer I've been here. And it was never good. It was never good. I could, but I could say a few things. I could do numbers and I could, you know, I was basically, yeah, I could do numbers, right? But, so I could go to the market and I could, you know, understand. But the longer I've been here and I've talked about it before, I've noticed especially obviously in Saigon, the level of English by 
Vietnamese people has increased so much mm-hmm. that, and, and obviously I used to live in a more local area, so I would come across local people more often and then would then you'd be forced to speak it. As I've talked about in the podcast before, I live now in D2, which is the wanky expat area. I'm one of those people now, unfortunately. So I don't come across very many local Vietnamese people and the ones that I do can mostly all speak English. So my necessity to speak even the most basic Vietnamese has gone, which does make me a little bit sad. Like I can't change those circumstances. And and again, I've talked about this before. I say I live in the wanky expat area. Most people that live here are Vietnamese or Japanese or Korean or other, like, it's not like I'm some, like, it's all Western white people enclave. Like, that's why I don't like that stereotype that Audien or D2 is this, like, white guy Western enclave because it's absolutely not. It's really multicultural. And there's a lot of Vietnamese people who also want to, like, live in a nice area as well. You know what I mean? It's not just uh, for foreigners. But that, that makes me a little bit sad, though, that now where I live, I'm not as exposed to, like you said, you're in Tan Binh, right? And that's like a, quite a local area. So I do miss those experiences. I used to travel more, but we, we all used to travel more. But I used to traverse the city more, which I don't do as much. So I miss uh, seeing more of uh, Saigon, but that's the way it is. But I told you before we started, sometimes I will ask a question and then I'll somehow ask five questions in the one question. I don't even know if I asked any other question there. I just went on a random tangent. But to go back to my original question, YouTube channel, how did that start? How did you get into that? As I mentioned before, I get about 10, 20 views on my videos that I've started putting. But you do have to start somewhere. Your videos now, what's the biggest, the most highest rated video that you I challenged a Muay Thai champion here in Vietnam to arm wrestling. And that video is about 4.6 million, I think. That must blow your mind. 4.6. I told you at the beginning, I got excited that 20,000 people in two years have listened to this podcast. That's the population of Scotland has listened one of your, has watched one of your YouTube videos. Is that not just, how do you cope with that? That's insane. So it, it is an interesting story. And I had to explain this to my wife, this idea of being famous, like I go back to the solid time like i i tried to stay humble and know that you know i'm just here and there's other people that are getting that every day on their channels so there's always room to grow but in orlando i had a youtube channel as well where i would record street fights and drunk people but every night there were fights on the street you're doing that out of work fights you had doing- fights everything i just shared a story uh somebody recorded a bum fight in front of the bar that I worked at just yesterday and three homeless people are fighting and a homeless guy comes up on a wheelchair with one leg, gets up and starts fighting with them with one leg. No joke, just had it on my Instagram. So needless to say, downtown Orlando was full of content and my job was, you know, like I said, I could drink at work. I could run out of the bar and film a fight and then run back in on my shift, like no big deal. So my channel back there, it, it got over 1 million views total because of some viral five videos. And I also had an ongoing trend. Let's, let's say that. So we had what was called dirty feet or drunk girls that would take off their high heels and walk barefoot. So I would go up. And like a kink. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. Like, I mean, they just black bottoms of their feet walking around where people throw up there's broken glass and all this so you know me being the very uh, 
we say lay in Vietnamese, but where I don't mind poking at people, I would come up and film them and interview them and say, do you ever wash your feet? I, I see you have quite dirty feet here. And some girls would punch me or their boyfriends would chase us. Like, it, But it became a hot trend where people would send me pictures of dirty feet. Like, I found them for you. And we made a music video with it. And, and I sold t-shirts. If she's got dirty feet, she's got a dirty blank. And then people would fill in the blank, you know? So this idea of people knowing my content wasn't new. Like, I, I didn't make a lot of money from that. I wasn't the most famous person in Orlando. But like I said, people knew what the guy with the ginger beard was because I'm the one that followed around dirty foot girls. So after getting chased away from a couple of street fights, I would be recording a four-on-four street fight. And someone's like, oh, get that up. And then I would get chased by the group. I kind of gave it up. I said, you know, it's kind of dangerous. I'm not even making money. I'm going to get sued. I'm going to get beat up. Not a good idea. So I kind of gave it up. Leading up until now, around 2018, I went on a trip to Korea to see my friend, Fukbao, the tall guy, Eric. And at this point, he lived in Korea. He said, look, man, you've been in Vietnam long enough. You speak Vietnamese now. I watch all these travel vlogs and these guys aren't even interesting. They're just in interesting places. They just walk around, record and talk in India or China or wherever. He said, if you did it with your unique personality, you could blow up. And I said, you know what? You're probably right. (laughs) Actually gave me his MacBook. He gave it to me as a gift to edit videos because I didn't have a fast computer at the time. Actually. I still have that MacBook here that I did the first uh, six to eight months. And I came back and I said, you know, I'm going to make, I'm going to make videos and I'm going to make it where no other foreigner in Vietnam has done something like this. I'm just going to go all out. Is that a MacBook 2010? It's pretty old. I know it's at least eight years old. That's the computer I still have and I still use. My MacBook is now 10 years old. I've had it upgraded so many times. It's got new RAM, new hard drive, new keyboard. Yeah, look, I think it's the same one. This pilot probably what stops me doing YouTube videos and things like this. It's so, my computer is so old. I'm always like thinking about like setting up a GoFundMe to see if people want to like help me buy a new computer so I can do more videos because it's, uh, it's pretty old. But I'm also still attached to it because it is, I've had it, I've had it the exact same length of my relationship with my wife. We, I bought it when I first met her. So this computer is as old as the, my relationship with my wife. I've had it upgraded so many times. It's been with me through every country. It's got me the podcast. It, it still works. It's, it's pretty decent. So I don't think I, I'm, I know the point where like, I don't know if I can ever give it up. Like I'm going to have it for like 10 more years just because. It still works. I will use it occasionally. But I really enjoyed using um, Final Cut Pro as for some editing with that. I, I like the ease of it. And even on an older computer, a slower computer, it would still get the job done for the first few months. And when I came back to Vietnam from that Korea trip, I started filming. And I, I you know, have an Aoyai from my wedding. I said, yeah, I'm going to go out, go to the market in my Aoyai. And at that point in time, I didn't feel like my Vietnamese was that good. I'd been studying for a while. You know, I can communicate with my wife and their family and they are 
gracious with my mistakes. You know, they know what I'm trying to say. But in general, past the beginning conversation, I didn't think my Vietnamese was that good. Well, again, a lot of my story revolves around this guy, well, my, my tall friend, Eric. He came back to Vietnam to visit for a while. And we were at a trivia night. Where was this? I want to say it was game on when that bar was still around. Yes. It was a trivia night. And, you know, we're like, okay, what can we do next? What is the next video for your channel that we can make blow up? And he's like, dude, what if you get a pet chicken and put it on a leash and walk around with it? I said, dude, that's great. And act like I don't know that it's not a real pet. What if I accidentally buy women's pajamas thinking they're for men and just wear them to try to be part of the culture, like traditional clothes? Like, dude, this is great. So within like two days, we went to the market by my house, Jeffman High, which unfortunately for my wife, you know, she grew up in that market. New husband is buying women's pajamas and the chicken and walking it through the market. And we just went out. There was no real script in mind. I just interacted with people on the street. And it was actually, it was going to be a tour guide video, me and the chicken give a tour of Saigon. But it turned into just people asking me what I'm doing and me replying in Vietnamese. And luckily, a somewhat celebrity motor reviewer here, his friend was holding a pigeon by the cathedral, the Nyatha Dukbaya. The, the main cathedral. And the, one of the jokes with it was that I bought a hen, a female chicken, but I was convinced it was a fighting chicken. And I, you know, I argued with Vietnamese and they're fighting chickens saying my chicken would kill theirs and all of this. And they're like, it's a hen. It's not a fighting chicken. And I just acted like I didn't know. But I saw a guy holding a pigeon and I said, you better watch out because my chicken will beat your pigeon up in Vietnamese. This guy took a picture of me, which this picture got shared by his celebrity friend, which before I even finished that day, got shared by all of these major Facebook pages. My wife messaged me. She said, don't come home. Oh, I thought they were messaging me about you and those pajamas. And we were eating lunch at La Fiesta. Uh, Scott, he actually let us leave the chicken outside and brought it some rice to eat. And we weren't even finished. And I get a message and start getting tagged in comments, thousands of likes, just like that. And I hadn't even made the video yet. I hadn't even done the interview part. And I told my buddy, I said, well, I've got to make this good because it's viral. And next thing you know, on the news, like the next day, they're sitting there, the five o'clock news. And they said, this foreigner's walking on the street with a chicken. And they thought I got tricked into buying the women's pajamas. And, you know, within one week, it just blew up. Oh, no. That is amazing. A lot of people thought I was, like, mentally handicapped and just something like that. I'm not arguing with that. But until the video came out and you watch the full story of the video, the whole video had, you know, meaning behind it. The foreigner wants to be Vietnamese, so he buys traditional clothes. But he doesn't know they're women's clothes. He wants a pet, but he heard dogs get stolen, so he buys a chicken. He wants a fighting chicken to challenge the guys on the street, but he gets a hen. And then at the end of the story, my wife's sister cooks the chicken and eats it. So just like I feared with a dog, my pet got stolen. <laughs> 
And that's how it goes. Both Saigon Children's Charity and Blue Dragon have emergency COVID appeals. The outbreak of the Delta variant is wreaking havoc on vulnerable communities across Vietnam. Families are struggling to survive. They need your help, especially impoverished children. You can sponsor a COVID backpack now with Saigon Children's Charity containing food staples, hygiene necessities, books and games to a child in COVID-affected areas in Vietnam so that they know they are taken care of physically and mentally. Or in the north, you can donate an emergency food pack through Blue Dragon. It contains fruit and vegetables, rice and staples to keep children and families going. Food will be bought locally and will include a mix of fresh food and longer lasting items. For families who are hard to reach, your donation will provide a cash grant to buy food at the local market. The links to donate are in the description and if you're in a position to, please donate whatever you can. Thanks. And that was your first ever video? First ever viral video. Okay. I had like 10,000 views at that point on my channel. I had huh? four months, four months having the channel. That video came out around April 1st, 2019. And then I went to 50,000 subscribers in like one month. Like it blew up. Wow. That's awesome. I love it. I always love these stories, how things start, right? Like it's just, it's, I hate that wanky term, but it's like organic, right? Like it's not like some corporation behind it. It's not like, it's just, you do something, it's cool. People like it. And then it becomes big. You, I wanted to ask a question you said about being famous. Like, so do you, I know you probably hate this question. Maybe do you consider yourself famous? Again, it depends what level you talk about. Like after being a person that is recognized a lot, again, part of it is just the beard, you know, as a bartender, people go, ah, it's the dirty foot guy with the ginger beard. Like I had that for five years coming here, people staring at me and coming up and trying to touch my beard. And then now they can put a name with it. They go, ah, it's Fukma. Oh, are you the guy with the chicken? <laughs> uh, I mean, ever since that video, there has not been one city that I visited in Vietnam where someone didn't come up and recognize me by name and ask me where my chicken was. I mean, Hanoi, one guy pulled over last time in my life. I was filming and we got the video of him getting a picture with me in the lot. I went to do an MC job. And as soon as I walk into my hotel, this little kid's sitting next door and he goes, Fukma, welcome to the lot. And I was like, well, hey, good to see you, man. And then uh, we were in Cameron on the beach, away from the Chang, away from the main city. And a kid came up and he just walks out of nowhere and goes, hey, football, where's your chicken? Like every single city, someone is recognized. So even though a lot of people may not follow me, may not be a fan, you know, I, I would like to say that most people recognize me at this point. They know who you are. And what's been, uh, so what's been the, the most awkward encounter you've had regarding that kind of situation? That's a good question. Recently took my wife to a steakhouse for her birthday and I think it's called B3 steakhouse. It's on one way street and we're sitting down and, you know, romantic, nice birthday gifts. And a guy walks up and he goes, Oh, what's up, man? Hey. And he's like having this conversation with me. 
where it's just me and my wife and it's a nice restaurant. It's not like a busy restaurant or anything. And yeah, in terms of awkward, I think that's probably the most awkward thing. Uh, I generally play things off very well and I, I come off as friendly. You know, I'm always smiling, I'm always talking to people. So in terms of bad, you know, awkward, strange, in terms of things like that, I can't really think of anything. It's always been positive. And I'm sure some of these people, they just recognize me. They want to say hi. But truthfully, they probably don't care. They probably don't watch my videos regularly. They just recognize me as the guy with the chicken. <laughs> and they're like, oh, where's your chicken? You know, I was on the high one pass. And my, the start of my video from there, we're at this famous rest stop. And then Vietnamese, they're like, when that, oh, where's your chicken? This whole iron pack. Like, well, my sister ate it. Like, you know, and it's, again, they're not, they're probably not fans, but they recognize it. Yeah, again. That's good enough. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, that big ginger beer that you're, you stand out, right? I got one of those, I got like a real forgettable face. Like, I, I, I there's people I think I definitely in my lifetime that have met me several times and I still think they don't know who I am or they don't recognize. I got just one of those faces. But I was I was talking to my cousin this a, a while ago. Obviously, I've been doing the podcast for a while. I do comedy and I, and I said to him, um, you know how like in America, right, in Scotland or in the UK, you know, you have like um, in a stadium, the stairs like are normally like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And then I know in some stadiums in the UK, if you get past, how many letters are in the alphabet? 24? 26, I think. 26? Might be different in Scotland. I don't know. <laughs> Once you get past 26 stairs, then they go A, A, B, B, C, C, D, D, you know, I don't know. And I said to my cousin, I said, you know, they say people are like a Z-list celebrity and it's kind of like a slur, you know, like it means you're like a nobody celebrity. I was like, I'm a ZZ celebrity in Saigon. But the, the next next level of it, <laughs> which I'm not. That's that's actually giving myself a compliment. I'm not even a ZZ celebrity at all. I one time I got recognized, and it was, and I got so thrown off. We were in our Christmas market, and this we're buying like cookies at this little Christmas stall, and the girl was like, "Oh, you're new," and I I was so shell shocked. My wife had to like nudge me and be like, "Say hello." I was like. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, that's my only my only experience of of that. Again, like people ask a question like that, and you're then like, oh, well, what's it like to be recognized everywhere? And again, to me, it's great. I love meeting people that actually want to meet me. Like when people ask for pictures, I'm very honored, you know. But in the end, if it was gone tomorrow, it's not like my life would just drop off. You know, I would. Yeah. Keep living and keep enjoying my life. It's just an added bonus. It's icing on the cake because it's not like I earn money from each one of those people that <laughs> I'm not I'm not any more rich because of that. It's just it's cool. But in the end, it, it could turn out bad. I'll share an experience with you off the podcast. But uh, right. recently something happened with that where it wasn't as good. But well, I don't know if this question is what you were going to, what the story you're going to say, but has it, has it come to the point where people then assume that you're wealthy and you're rich and you're this and you're that because you're recognizable and you're on YouTube and, and then has that led to any, I don't know if that's the story you're going to tell me, but that was the question I was going to ask. Has that led to any kind of encounters? That wasn't the story, but this last year I've gotten a lot of messages from people that I don't know asking me for money. That's, that's a big one. 
people message me and ask me for money. And it, to me, that's really weird. And like, imagine messaging a YouTube, I don't, I, I don't like to use the word famous, but a well-known YouTube creator in, you know, Scotland or America and say, hey, man, I'm in hard times. Can you give me $50? Like, I, I just will. People message me, just ask me for money. You know, it's like, I'm back in the States or here in the... No, 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 here, here. here yeah. I just get messages on my fan page and like, you never know who to trust. You know, I try to do some charity work and some charity videos here and there, but, you know, I'm not just going to send money to people that message me and ask me yeah, for money. Like, you know, oh, we have a big enough family as it is. And, you know, right now, for example, this morning, we just brought a huge box of food to my uncle's who are not, who are, weren't able to get out and get food before the lockdown and, you know, try to help where I can. They need food, their family, you know, we'll go help them. But, you know, people, random people message me. I, I, yeah, I, I do. That's super awkward. Yeah. I never, wouldn't have thought of that. And, you know, yeah, obviously you, I'm sure you feel like, oh, well, you want to help people, right? We all want to help people, but you're like, just going to give some random dude $50, but mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, that's, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Probably don't do I, that then. I just filmed uh, what's in my camera bag video yesterday. And I, I make sure to note in there, like, you know, people think that I have a lot of money because of the success on YouTube. But what you don't realize is that the AdSense in Vietnam is seven times lower than that of America. Okay. So, mm. for example, even around Christmas, the, the ad costs go up. So we make more money as creators. But if I remember correctly, around Christmas, 1,000 ad views in America earned the creator $10, whereas in Vietnam, it earned creators $1. And currently, I'm making about $0.70 per 1,000 ad views. Just because someone watches the video doesn't mean they saw an ad. Mm. So, you know, it's a good side income, but it's definitely not enough to make it my only job. It's crazy because I think a lot of people have, I know as a teacher as well, when I first came here and I, I wasn't, I mean, I'm still not a big YouTube. I don't want, I watch more YouTube now after meeting like Nam and Mika and now yourself. And now I'm starting to like appreciate it as a medium before for me, cause I'm of a certain age, YouTube was just someone uploading a video of themselves talking or, you know, I didn't realize it was a, so well done. Like I was going to mention as well, the, like the production values of your videos that are incredible, you know, and that these are the kind of things that from my age growing up, you would expect would come from a TV channel with a team of producers and technology is what's changed that, right? I mean, I can produce content that I'm just like, how can I make this in five minutes? Like 10, 20 years ago, this would have probably taken a team of like 10 people with a studio and, and all of this and, and I mean, even this podcast that we're doing, right? And once I've finished with this, I'm going to put it out to the world and I'm going to put it on YouTube and it's going to be seen by five people. But still, I can do that, right? So it's cool. When I first came here and then asking students, what do you want to do for a job? And a lot of them would say, I want to be a YouTuber. And at that point, I didn't know what that was. I was like, what do you mean you want to be a YouTuber? Like, I, like to me, again, YouTube was just somebody filming themselves, telling the people about how they've had a hard day or sharing a funny video or, you know, like... Uh, Fail blogs was my favorite thing, always watching things like that. So I was like, what do they mean they want to be a YouTuber? Who's PewDiePie? What are they talking about PewDiePie? I don't even know who this guy is. And it's only really honestly been in the last kind of year or two that then I've been like, oh, YouTube is like a whole other, it's grown and developed into this whole other medium 
that people can create content, but it's not like just filming themselves doing a video. Yeah, you can still do that and it will get like five views like this YouTube video. But there are people like yourself who are can do cool things, make cool productions, make it high quality. And like, so the best of a food review show is a good example of that. They're up to like 6 million viewers now. Sonny and Liz, we've been talking to them. Liz is the channel manager and Sonny's obviously the producer. We talked about getting them on the podcast, but now they've had to leave obviously because of COVID and things like that. But so now watching these YouTube videos and I came across, I'm a big football fan, soccer fan. I came, came across one during the Euros. He's called Chris M. I think I don't know if you've heard of him, but anyway, I was Googling him. And it, then it obviously always comes up on Google, what's Chris M's net worth, which I wasn't interested in, but it came up. So I was like, oh, yeah, let's play. And he's worth like millions. He's only like 25 and he's worth like millions. So how do people like him then go from the level of the URA, obviously getting free stuff, which is awesome. And, and I assume making a little bit of money from the ads to then making millions. Is it just his level of viewership that's mental? Yeah, I would say a lot of it depends on the audience sponsorships playing that as well and then merchandise and memberships and you know that what i've learned is that you need to broaden your streams of income to make it have this and this and this page where a lot of guys i follow they sell LUTs, they sell title packs transition packs things geared towards their audience uh for me if i was ever going to do that it would be like english lessons you know mm-hmm. i'm a patreon of english lessons or something uh, but speaking on that, I changed my picture because of this guy here. Uh, this is Chiron TV. And, you know, as many subscribers as I have here in Vietnam, a lot of our students are like, oh, yeah, cool. Fuck my back. You know, Chiron TV. And to them, they love watching video game streamers. And this kid, he's 17 years old, might be 18 now. He actually hit me up and Kari and Henwalk Bros and invited us to be on this channel. And he's built this, just him and his team, they're called the Hero Team. They built this empire, you could call it. They have a whole house with a studio and the kids of Vietnam are in love with this Hero Team. This guy came to my house. We filmed this video at my house and my nephew, who's eight, he goes, oh, it's Chiron. Chiron, what are you doing here in my house? He just freaked out because that's his idol. To yeah. me, I'd never heard of him. I don't know who he was. Yeah, yeah. Different people are into different things. And as famous or as many people know about my channel, that's <laughs> the younger generation of Vietnam and they know all about this guy. Yeah. There's always levels to it. That's what's fascinated me as well is you're you're about the same age as me you grew up you probably grew up i grew up with three channels then we had four then we had five then we had cable you know so we're used to that and then now we live in this youtube world and there's just so much out there that if that's not for you like this guy chiron and video game i've never heard of him never seen him why would i i don't video game i'm not vietnamese but he's got a massive following so like the soccer guy chris i was saying millionaire never heard of him till like yesterday so these people what I find really interesting is they're not in the traditional sense like famous because they're maybe not well-known. Like not everyone knows who they are, like a Brad Pitt you know, or something like this, but they are supremely famous within their niche, mm-hmm. right? And then they carve a career. So that, that to me is just a whole new world. And I think it's really cool. I've just, 
I've just started doing some work for a company called Autonomous who make like ergonomic chairs and I do some voiceover work and I make, I make a podcast for them as well. And that opened up me to a whole new world of desk setup. So I don't know, have you heard of this? This is a whole thing on Instagram and on YouTube. People post pictures of their desk setups. They have lights, they have different monitors, keyboards. So now I have to research like what's the monitor, what's the keyboard, what speakers are they using? What is this nano leaf panel of lights here some people have minimalist setups some people so i have to like they send me these pictures i'd never known about this until two months ago that this existed but some people and it makes sense because they're either coders or they're gaming they spend all their time at a computer at a desk so it has to be comfortable it has to be nice it has to be what they want and so that opened up like a whole new world and i sent it to one of my friends devin gray comedian and a friend and he's a, a, a coder as well. And I said, I was like, I'm doing this thing. And he's like, yeah, that's, yeah, I've posted on these pages. That's what they do. And some of these guys, similar to what you're saying, they have millions of followers. They just get sent free stuff. They like review it, they show it. And so anyway, I don't have a point to that, but it's just fascinating that there's all these little sub niches of what sub worlds going on, I guess. And I'm sure there's many more, millions more that I don't know about. So I started my channel with a point-and-shoot camera, the Canon G7X Mark II, which at the time, it did the job. You know, it got me millions of views. It, it definitely brought in the growth that I was looking for. But as I upgraded and improved and started watching these channels, even with the desk, I realized how many accessories you could actually get for filmmaking. You're like, oh, you have this. $3,500 Sony A7S III. Do you have an $800 monitor to go with it? How about your $500 microphone? Whoa, the memory cards for this are $500. How about that? And it just goes on and on. Yeah. The same thing with the desk. When I move out of this house, I'm probably going to get a standing desk that can go up and down because mm. I learned about it on these and computers. <laughs> just watch the review of a $14,000 iMac and it's like well I bought my laptop for $1,000 I don't know if I need to get to that level just to quick but it shows you how far or how deep you can get into whatever niche that you are in yeah and it blows my mind because I two years of podcasting starting to put stuff on YouTube I still use my 10 year old MacBook I have almost zero equipment these are my wife's headphones I, I I'm the I'm just Scottish. I'm really cheap. I don't like spending money. So if anyone wants to give me some free stuff, that would like be my dream. Like, yeah, that, that's, that's better than money to me. Awesome. And so mentioned, closed mouths don't get fed. You can ask and yeah. not reply, but somebody, somebody will send you something. Hopefully. All right. If you're listening and you want to send me something, even some food would be good right now in lockdown. We could uh, show food would be awesome. So let's, uh, Let's move on to the final questions that uh, I ask everyone at the end of every episode. I change them every season. So we have a, a whole new set of questions for this season. This question uh, is very specific to the situation that we are in right now. Okay, we're in lockdown. We can't even walk out of the apartment. Never mind get on our bike or a scooter or on the back of a grab. If you could get on a bike right now, where would you go? Personally, I think I would head to the beach. I haven't been to Volthal in about five years. That was one of the first vacations my wife and I took when we were dating. And I think I would just drive up the coast. 
I've driven to the lot. I've driven to Nemkathian. I've driven to those areas a few times. But the beach, the coastline, I have not explored as much in the last five years. So I think I would go straight up the beach. Yeah, I think at this point, I would probably want to do the same. But I was saying to our previous guest as well, like we're so enclosed in where we are right now. I mean, I literally would be happy to jump on my bike and go to D4. You know what I mean? Like that would be so far right now. It would be nice to, nice to get out. So staying on the lockdown theme, what has been the best thing about this lockdown for you? I think discovering more about my relationship with my wife. You know, we heard in the beginning, even last year when the lockdown started, that divorce rates were up, suicide rates were up, drug addictions were up, domestic violence was up. And my wife and I, we've been together uh, about three and a half years and being stuck in that house together made me realize that's why I married her because we can get along in complete silence. My wife likes to play video games. So we play Call of Duty on the phone a lot. We can watch the same movies and TV shows. And yeah, building this relationship has been great. In fact, when we got married, we lived in a very, I was, you know, as the Scottish, I was very cheap. If I had a four million a month apartment, which my apartment, it was just a room and a bathroom. Yeah. And we got married and she moved in with me. And it's like half the closet for me, half the closet for her, no kitchen. And once we got through that, and now that we've been through a, a couple of lockdowns here, I feel like it's strengthened our relationship. And I, I feel confident in saying we can spend months together without getting out of the house and be just fine. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel very lucky. So as I mentioned, my wife and I have been together for 10 years. So we are, we're one of these weird couples where we, we really like each other. <laughs> we really like spending time with each other. And I, every couple is different. I know some couples who have been together for a very long time, but they're very independent from each other. So I'm not saying that uh, our relationship is better than other people. It's just, but our relationship is we, we spend a lot of time together and we, we enjoy it. So for us being stuck at home together all day is, yeah, we, we just have, fun. we have a lot of fun together. You know, it's pretty good. But I've been, as I, I said last, we did open mic comedy last night. I said, you know, it's unbelievable that in three months time, we've never had an argument. It's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable, right? So obviously we, we still argue like anyone does. It's not all, but we, we have a good time. So that's good. Give a, I talk about my wife too much. She's my biggest fan. She listens to every episode. And one of her biggest criticisms is you talk about me too much because I, I can't help but talk about her in nearly every episode. But I'll give you the opportunity. Your wife sounds awesome. Give your wife a shout out on the, on the podcast right now. I have to give my wife credit for putting up with me all the things that I've done. <laughs> I mean, even, even down to the way my humor is, okay? So I'll, I'll share something about me, which, you know, surprised her at first. In America, a lot of people like to get tattoos and say Chinese or Japanese. And it's like honor, loyalty, you know, something meaningful. I said, you know, if I'm going to do it, I, I need to have visited these countries and I want to make it funny. So on my leg, I have a thing called Viet. I don't know Vietnamese tattooed on my leg. <laughs> so people are like, wow, what does it say? I said, <laughs> they go, well, why did you get it? They, I don't know Vietnamese. And they just, they can't understand. So then I kept the joke going. And this has been the entire time I've been with my wife. So every time I come back from a country, she's like, oh man, on my arm here, I got a 
bamboo tattoo in Thailand, and it says something in Thai. You say, well, what does it say? Oh, it says something in Thai. Yeah, but what? And I've actually had people get angry with me, but you don't want to tell me? It's like, I just told you, dude, something in Thai. And then I'm not going to show you on the podcast, but I got a tattoo on my butt in Korea, in Korea, in Korean. And it says, it's Korean. And you say, well, what does it say? I go, it's Korean. They like, well, what? And then my wife has to live with me coming back from Korea. Like, guess what? I got another tattoo. She's like, oh, man. And then in Laos, she wouldn't let me. I was going to do that. She's like, don't even try it. So she bought my last tattoo, and then I'm officially supposed to be done getting tattoos. So again, my wife putting up with me through my humor, going to her neighborhood market that she's been in for 33 years now, and just acting a fool, being the only foreigner in this whole neighborhood, and running around with the chicken. Her putting up with that and her family putting up with that. So shout out to my wife for being my biggest fan and putting up with me and my immature humor. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, on the flip side to that question, what's been the most challenging thing about Locked? Being a YouTube creator, just not being able to go out and film. A lot of people that watch from outside of Vietnam, they want to see the street life. They want to see the scenes of the city. and. Right before the lockdown, I started a new segment similar to what we said Chris was doing, where he would just walk around and film everything, where I just walk around with the GoPro or the Insta360 and talk about the area that I'm in and random people come up and talk to me. And both of those videos did very well. In fact, one of them is close to 200,000 views, I believe. And I said, great, this is a new subcategory I'm going to run with. And after I put the second one out, lockdown so <laughs> as much as i want to just go and make these easy videos yeah. like podcasts with myself on the street i can't do it so i think the most challenging thing as a youtube creator is having to film everything at home and as an english teacher having to teach online my classes are great but the little kids can get hard to control after two hours or so yes having to do everything from home would be the most yeah, challenging thing. Tough. Have you not thought about doing a YouTube video just like walking about your apartment and just commentating on like, so I'm, I'm just going into the cupboard right now. So I'm just going to get a bag of chips. I'm going into the fridge. Yeah. Oh, yep. That's a ba ba ba. So a ba ba ba. You could just do like a commentary on there. I've considered it. Depending <laughs> <laughs> on how long this lockdown goes, I may have to get creative. Uh, I want to do a skit where I teach myself Vietnamese, where I'm the student. And the teacher, and it just does a split screen and, you know, just joke back and forth about Vietnamese. And I've just come up with these creative ideas where I have to come up with them because there's, what else am I going to do? Give my, you know, in politics, I'd rather not. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know the the lockdown has, has had some positives. I say, I remember seeing this even kind of maybe last year at the beginning of the lockdown. And I think it's throughout human history, right? When you're put under pressure or a different situation, like good things can come, right? It's not all bad. Like you've, the situation changes to, you know, like for me, 7 million bites has, uh, I've had the time in the last few months to really develop it. We're, we're going to come out of this stronger than we were before, you know, so it's, it's not all bad. Now, you've been here seven years, wasn't it? Six, seven, seven years this month. Seven years this month. One Vietnam has shocked you the most. 
I have to say the people, the general friendliness and hospitality of the people after going to like 11, I think 11 different countries, a lot of different Asian countries, for example, Tokyo, a lot of people would shy away from talking to me. They would just kind of like veer off. It's not that they were mean. It's just, they didn't want to socialize with me, whether it's English or whatever. Southern Laos, people were a little standoffish. Thailand, they were always trying to sell me something. (laughs) Cambodia, they were always trying to sell me a bracelet or something. You know, I feel like Vietnam was the most genuine experience that I've had in a in an Asian country, and I was shocked with how friendly the people were. And you'll see in my future videos, if you want to go back and watch the walking videos, I can go up to just about anybody on the street, start a conversation, doesn't have to be in Vietnamese, and they will genuinely want to talk to me, want to have a conversation, or at least try to do it. And I really it really blew my mind compared to other Asian countries. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree. And uh, talking about Thailand, I remember going to Thailand and it's like the land of smiles and it's everyone's so friendly and everyone, like, again, it's kind of these stereotypes. Everyone's so friendly and nice in Thailand. I think these people that say that, like, just live in a resort and, it's, of course, they're nice to you because you're paying top dollar. I didn't have the best experience in Thailand. I didn't have the worst, but I didn't. It didn't live up to the stereotype of, oh, everyone's super friendly. Like most people were pretty, pretty rude. But, and then I completely agree, like Vietnamese people. I get it. It's one of these things you, we came here on a holiday. We came here for six weeks and you just stay. And it's sometimes I think I almost take it for granted how nice and amazing the people are here because I've just lived here for so long. But sometimes I remind myself, I'm like, if I was in Scotland right now and this woman was Scottish, how friendly would she be right now? Like probably not very at all. Like, Whereas here they just have that, they're just very friendly. And I, I've just, you've reminded me, I remember I ran out of gas when I was in D4 when I lived there. So five years ago, and this woman came up to us and couldn't speak English. We couldn't speak Vietnamese. And somehow she went to the gas station, brought us a bottle of gas, put it in the bike. And I tried to give her money and it, you know, it wasn't much like it's only like 20,000, 30,000, I don't know, but I tried to give her money and she would not take the money. Big smile on her face. So friendly, so nice, went on her way, never don't know who the woman is, you know what I mean? But and that's like deep D4, you know, it wasn't there's no not a touristy area, you know. People could think like, oh, something bad's gonna happen. We've run out of gas in D4, and this woman comes along and just gives us gas. So I, those little things happen all the time that remind you, yeah, the Vietnamese people are are, are really, really amazing. And it's one of the comments that gets me on uh, my YouTube. As you start to grow, you're going to get a range of comments. Just wait, it's coming. But uh, one of the comments that gets me when it comes to these videos where I walk around and people genuinely want to talk to me, and like, oh, they're only doing that because you're a foreigner. They're only doing that because they think you have money. And, I, you know, to me, it's just negative people leaving these comments because I'm generally a friendly guy. I walk around with a smile, I wave at people, you know, try to converse with them. And these people aren't trying to sell anything. Yeah. They just see a friendly person they want to talk. And it bothers me that, you know, there's such negative people in the world that just flood YouTube comments to say, oh, well, it's only this. You know, another YouTube buddy of mine, you know, made some money on YouTube here. So he decided to go give like $1,000 back to the old vendors in Hoi An. And I commented like, hey, great job, bro. Glad to see it. And 
negative comments like, oh, you're only doing this for publicity. And it's like, he's already famous. He doesn't need that. <laughs> he's just trying to give back to the community. But people, there's always negative people in the world. So, yeah, I've had this discussion before, so I won't go into it, but I'm, I'm worried. I don't get many comments yet, thankfully, but it has all, I, and everything that has been commented so far in the 7 million bytes world has always been uh, largely positive. But I've thought about just stopping reading comments so I don't have to read negative comments because uh, no matter, I'm not famous, as I said, but no matter how thick skinned you may be, like that shit is going to affect you, right? So uh, I don't know how you so deal with that. That's, you know, you asked about the wife before, and that's one thing is you won't see my wife in my videos. One, she's more introverted and shy, which is a big reason I like her. But another thing is like, I can take the comments. Like I, I generally about 98% are good. I get about 98% like ratio. But if someone says something bad about me or says something degrading about me, I just brush it off at this point. But anybody, you know, your wife, your loved one, and then people start trying to smear them in the comments, whether true or not then it would really get under my skin. So for me, it's not worth trying to put my wife in the spotlight. It may bring me more views initially, but it's not worth it for me because I'd rather just keep those bad comments, those hate comments directed at me. Mm. No, it's good. It's good advice. So my, my final question is what pleasantly surprises you about Vietnam? I think I mixed up my answers. Uh, <laughs> When I saw these questions before, I had I had that answer I gave you, and I want to maybe that was the pleasantly surprise. You did shock me as well. Uh, so I, I will use the other answer. Okay, since well, it comes to the handling of food and how unregulated it is. Okay, so before working in the bars, my only job was always at a restaurant, and in America, you know, in a lot of developed countries, we have very strict food safety regulations. You know, we were subject to random inspections and we had to keep the food at this temperature. We had to wash our hands after you go to the, well, you wash your hands after you go to the bathroom, but after you smoke a cigarette or after you go outside, you have to um, wear gloves or hair nets. I had to wear a beard net at one restaurant. See now, Nicole, It's one of those things where I come from this environment of just food safety. My old roommate had a hot dog cart and he had to have a hand-washing sink either attached to it or readily available to sell hot dogs on the street. And he could only sell hot dogs because it was pre-cooked. He couldn't sell raw meat and cook it there. But to come here, not just Vietnam, but Southeast Asia in general, and to see people making a bun mei, you know, at the same time taking your money and then continue making it and, you know, to see that, it really surprised me at first. And then I got used to it after a while. In fact, the only places I feel I got food poisoning over in Southeast Asia was nicer restaurants, fancier restaurants. I can't ever point it to a time where it was a street food. But uh, yeah, to come from food safety regulations to regulation. <laughs> I like, for example, eggs. I think in the UK, you guys don't refrigerate your eggs, but my whole life, eggs were refrigerated. And I remember being in Thailand and seeing eggs on the back of a bike. And I said, Ooh, how long have those been out of the fridge? Are those good? Can you eat those? I, I was shocked. I had no idea. And then some of my UK friends said, Oh, 
tastes better if it's not in the fridge. What? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like coming here and you're watching the food vendors, like you say, touching the money, touching the food. And what blows me away, I've never had food poisoning here. It almost makes you think that like we are too soft in the Western world where we have all these regulations with food safety, food health. Like you got to wear a beard net. Like that's insane. Whereas here, the guy is literally topless, smoking a cigarette, making a bandy at the same time. And you're completely fine. There's no problem at all. We come over with our Western sensibilities and you're like, oh my God, this is shocking uh, and disgusting, but they're no longer here. You're like, yeah, that's fine. It's almost like the change in environment changes the attitude for me, at least. I know there's some people that still won't do it, but I can remember, you know, in the first couple of months here, finding a hair in my soup, like a long black hair and I take it out and I just kept eating it no yeah find them occasionally you know have a rat run under the table whatever and over here i keep eating it but if it happened in america if i went back to america next week and it happened at mcdonald's there is a hair in my french fries what is this it's almost like the environment changes your attitude absolutely you don't expect it there 110 percent i think i've had this conversation with my wife yeah if you the same thing happened back home you would lose it but here you're like i mean yeah I, i'm not exaggerating we barely have a meal where there's not a hair in it like that's just the case and you're just like yeah we went when we went back to scotland the last time we went out for like a, a brunch and uh, my wife had some eggshell in her eggs and the server came up and she was like oh how was everything and really like, oh yeah it was good but Oh, there was just an eggshell in there, but we weren't even complaining. It was just like, she asked, how was it? And we are like, oh yeah, there was some eggshell. She was like, oh my God, I'm so, so sorry. We'll comp that meal, no problem. And like took it off the bill. And we were like, we, no, no, we, she took it off, but we didn't ask her to at all. And we were like, wow, that like, again, is the difference. <laughs> like Here, a bit of eggshell, you'd be like, yeah, those eggshells, that's, that's what happens, you know? And it goes deeper into the restaurant thing with the customer service. It's not saying people here are rude. It's just the way they deal with it is different. Yeah. Quick example. Uh, we went to a pizza restaurant, which I will not name for the, <laughs> <of> the podcast. <laughs> My wife and I, I love mushroom pizza. I get a mushroom pizza and it was a Chicago style pizza. So the toppings were kind of underneath and it comes out and i noticed that people next to us had ordered before they were here before, at the restaurant before we got there but we got our pizza before them so we started eating and i'm like man these mushrooms are, are really thick and chewy and then i see the lady as we're eating come out with the mushroom pizza looks at us eating this pizza and she goes oh and doesn't say anything just walks back and then the staff come out to the couple next to us apologize and then give them our mushroom pizza. We got their seafood pizza. Oh. And I'm like, you mean these are, this is squid? These are mushrooms? <laughs> and then they're eating our mushroom pizza. And I'm like, okay, well, you guys are going to cop the pizza, right? Like, you didn't even apologize. No chance. No, no, no. We'll give you a discount. 20000 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's things like that, right? We, we could do a whole podcast about things like that. It's, it's so, so funny. I forgot what that's like because we haven't been out in three months now, but. Anyway, let's leave it on that. Uh, thank you so, so much. Holy fuck. Which when you said fuck map, I thought it meant it was a slur for, f I knew Matt was fat. And uh, I was like, I thought they were calling you a fat fuck, but thankfully not. 
I have to call that the word. <laughs> this has been an awesome chat. It's been so good to know more about the channel, know more about you. I definitely look forward to catching up. We'll introduce our dogs together. We'll have a beer and a, a pizza, hopefully, or a burger or something, food, something that's not home cooked. Not that the home cooking is bad, but I look forward to that. So uh, I know what you mean. Stay safe. Thank you for having me. You're very well. Podcast. I nearly forgot as well, before we finish, give people a shout, tell people where they can watch your channel. How can they find you? How can they follow you? And what's coming up next for you? I nearly forgot that crucial question. No worries. Well, everyone, thank you for watching the podcast. Like Neil said, my name is Fukma, and I'm a foreigner here in Vietnam making videos about Vietnam, Vietnamese, the culture, and the food here in general. So if you want to follow me or just check out some of my videos, if you type in Fukma on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, same username all the way across, you can find me. Check out uh, my playlist for the must-watch some of my funniest videos. If you don't like the humor on those videos, you're probably not going to like the rest of our channel. So I will thank you in advance for trying. But if you do like it, make sure you subscribe and check out the rest of my content. Awesome. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. And I will see you very soon, hopefully. All right. Thank you, Neil. Stay safe in lockdown. Man. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. We hope you enjoy hearing our guest stories. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much to our producer, Lewis Wright, for making sure the show sounds as good as possible for you. And also a big thanks to the 7 Million Bikes community members and everyone who supports us. Don't forget, if you haven't already, you can join the community today. The link is in the description and you'll get free event tickets, free 7 million bikes face mask, and invites to special member events. Also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and I'm still ashamed to say this, TikTok. Most of all, if you can, please donate to Saigon Children's Charity or Blue Dragons Children Foundation's COVID appeals. Remember, we have six seasons of stories to share with you, so check them out if you haven't already, and we hope you can listen to future episodes too, so you can laugh, connect, and discover. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, 
even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.